Oh yes, the great outdoors. This is what it's all about, isn't it? The warm fire, the clean air, the cool breeze. We love being outside. Living in Missouri, we love the outdoors, don't we? It's what it's all about. We have to. I think it's almost humorous because we get to the point where we even have the hint of a good day and people just flock outside. Why? Because they know if I wanna go on a hike, if I wanna take my kid to the park, if I wanna go on a walk, I've got to do it right now. It doesn't matter if I have plans, cancel them. Because in two hours, we could have a blizzard sweep through this area. We could have a microburst tear down phone poles. It doesn't matter. We have to love our weather as Missouri residents. And even myself, I used to consider myself quite the outdoorsman. When I was a kid, I used to go on a lot of camping trips. And in my mind, I really loved to camp. In my mind, what I would do is I would create this, this ideal image of this picturesque setting. I would see in my mind the, the tents nestled perfectly in this ravine right next to a, a, a flowing, beautiful stream, and there would just be bass jumping out of the water. The temperature would be comfortable. I would always have all of my supplies, ample amounts of underwear, sunscreen, two boots. But how many of you guys know in life sometimes things just don't work out that way? We went on trips and we had one of the best leaders of all time. We had Dave North. And you get, many of you guys know Dave. And he was incredible. He invested so much in our lives. And I owe him personally so much for my development. But I don't know what it was. I think Dave did something terrible in a previous life. Because the guy is cursed. It didn't matter what trip we went on, whether it would be five cars breaking down on the same trip, whether it would be uh, flash flooding, tornadoes, kids breaking arms, near-death experiences, disaster was gonna strike. And even myself, I would tell myself, I'm done. I'm never coming back to one of Dave's trips. I'd be so aggravated, I would be cold, tired, irritated. But sure enough, we'd come back home. About a month later, Dave would say, we're planning another trip. I'm there. I'm there, Dave, sign me up. It's gonna be better this time. And I'll never forget one time in particular. It was probably the most miserable I've ever been in my entire life. We went on a camp out and it had just been raining from the very get-go, just incessantly coming down. And so being the experienced campers that we were, my group decided that we would set up our tent in between these two hills in a valley so we could get all the run off of the water. We were really smart. And so we set all our stuff up and we leave. We go and we cook dinner over the fire and just hang out, tell stories. So we come back that night to our surprise Everything in our tent is completely drenched. That water had been rolling down those hills and it had permeated the tarp. It had saturated the floor of our tent. My sleeping bag, my pillow was soaked. My bag with all of my dry clothes soaked. 
So as I mentioned earlier, me being the experienced camper that I am, I justified that maybe if I just put on about three or four layers of wet clothes, maybe that will keep me warm through the night in my wet sleeping bag. So by some miracle of God, I fell asleep, only to wake up in the middle of the night and find out that the kid sleeping next to me had stole my sleeping bag and curled up in this elaborate ball. And so I'm tugging on my sleeping bag, trying to get it back, I just can't. So frantically, I start searching for something to cover up with, because at this point I'm just shivering. And the only dry thing I could find in my entire tent were this random kid's pair of jeans. So there I am, holding up these jeans, just shaking, thinking, dear God, let morning come soon. And i never forget it. When anyone asks me to go camping or do anything outdoors, it's the first thing that comes to my mind. Me waiting patiently for sunshine to break through the top of that tent. And as I look back, fortunately now I can laugh at that story and I can appreciate the learning moment, but there's only one reason that I can do that. And the reason is this, is that this tent was not my home. This tent was nothing more than a temporary residence for me. You can bet that I went home that night and slept like a log in my bed because this tent was not permanent. See, we have these tents in our lives. We have these things that although they're not ideal, they're kind of a nuisance, we recognize that they are short-term, they are interim in our lives, so we just seem to put up with them. For some of you guys, it's a job. There's people in this room who work jobs right now that you just cannot stand. You hate your job, but you put up with it, you persevere. Why? Because you know this is only for a short amount of time. Many of you guys are going to school and working at the same time, but you continue to work hard. You sacrifice sleep. You sacrifice time with your family. Why? Because it's not permanent. Some of you, you've experienced illness in your life for prolonged periods of time. And apart from the grace of God, the only thing that kept you going, you knew in the back of your mind, this is not me. This does not define me. This is something I'm dealing with now, but I will eventually overcome it. But there's also tents in our lives, temporary things that we never really seem to acknowledge. Things that we never really give much attention to. And the particular tent that I'm talking about this morning is our lives. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. What an incredible verse. This was a a verse that was written by Paul to the Corinthian believers. And he puts things into perspective so beautifully. He helps us realize that our lives, they're temporary. These bodies that we live in, they're nothing more than on loan from God. Wow. So to help put our lives into perspective, let's think of it this way. It is estimated that approximately 125 billion people 
have lived on this earth at one time through history. 125 billion. For the numerically challenged out there, that's one, two, five, and nine zeros. But these are more than just statistics or numbers. These are people like you and me. These are people who had dreams, they had ambitions, they had loved ones, families, goals. But yet so many of those people have come and gone. Their earthly tents have been taken down, but we don't know them, we don't know their names. We'll never be able to sit down over a cup of coffee and ask them what their greatest passions in life are. We'll never know. I love how the Bible says it in James. It says that our life is like a mist, that it appears for a little while and then it vanishes. You ever thought about that? Our life is like a mist. Do you see it? I'll do it again. Before we know it, it's gone. Sometimes we start out with great beginnings. We have high hopes, ambitions. But then, like a mist, it is gone. Just think for a second. A hundred years from now, everyone you know will be dead. All your friends, your family. And at that point, it's no longer gonna matter what kind of car you drove. It's no longer gonna matter what school you graduated from, how well or successful you were in business, or even what type of clothes that you wore. So this morning, the million dollar question is this. How can I make my life count? How can I make my life count? Because for some of us, we spend so much of our lives padding that 401k to only realize that one day it's gone. We work so hard to save up the money for that vacation home, that dream house. But it's gone. The corporate ladder, it's gone. How do we make our life count? And there was no man in the history of the world who understood the significance of our life more than Jesus Christ. This was a man who in 33 short years literally changed the face of the world as we know it. Along with his 12 ragtag bunch of disciples, they, they were radical. They were counterculture. They started a movement that began to spread and is still to this day continuing to spread across the entire globe. 33 years. It blows me away. Jesus was a revolutionary. He came with these new ideas and he worried the authorities. He brought this message of hope and forgiveness. And he didn't come, he said, to abolish the law, but he came so that he might bring the law to its fulfillment. And it made people nervous and he began to do all sorts of crazy things like performing miracles. People started to hear 
that deaf people were getting their hearing back, that blind people were starting to see, that, that dead people were starting to rise again. Jesus was moving. He brought one of the most beautiful, sacred messages that this earth has ever seen, the best. And how did we repay him? How did we show our appreciation? We bruised his body. He was beaten, marred, ridiculed, stabbed, and ultimately crucified on a cross for our sins. But that's not the end of the story, is it? We know the Bible tells us that three days later, the stone was rolled away. Jesus defeated death. And because of that, we can now have life. Because that's why we're here, essentially, isn't it? That's what Easter is all about. Resurrection, new life, second chances. Celebrate the story of the empty tomb. But if I could just be honest and transparent a little bit this morning, you know what I think the greatest tragedy of Easter is? There's gonna be Easter productions happening all over this city, state, all over the United States. And with excellence, people will leave this, their churches inspired. But you know what the tragedy is? That although Jesus walked away from the tomb and Jesus defeated death, so many of us welcome that death back into our lives. So many of us welcome that death back into our marriages. We welcome that death back into our decisions, back into our emotions, back into our relationships. And what a tragedy. What a tragedy. And I think for several of us, we begin to realize that something's wrong. You know, you kind of get that feeling deep down that you're just not satisfied, you're not fulfilled. And so what do we do? We try to earn our way. We occasionally attend church. I know who you are. You finally give in to the, the nagging relatives and you say, fine, I'll come. Just leave me alone the other 51 weeks. We occasionally attend church. Maybe for some of us, our outlet, the way that we appease our conscience is to volunteer or to donate money. And the tragedy is that we begin to think that if we can do these good actions, that we can somehow earn our salvation, earn our place, give our, our life meaning, give it hope, to give this short time on earth a purpose. But the problem is that defeats the purpose of the cross. See, Jesus came and he voluntarily voluntarily allowed himself to be crucified on a cross for sins that he never committed, for crimes that he never committed. And he did it because his father understood the greater picture. His father allowed his son to go through one of the most excruci excruciating, horrific events of all time because he knew the greater picture. He knew that three days he would rise again, defeat death, so that we might have life. The thing I want you guys to realize this morning is this. 
that Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came so that dead people could live. He came for you and me, those of us who at one time were dead in our sins, who were chained to our bondage, chained to our anger, chained to our depression. Our marriages were broken. And that's, that's the significance of Easter, is that because of his love and sacrifice, we can have new life and we can break the chains of death. Hi, I'm Nick Martin, and about six or seven months ago, I was told that my father had a heart attack, and I was very scared and very worried because a lot of his decisions that he had made, I was angry with him, and I hadn't forgiven him of it, and I was very chained to my anger and disappointment in him. Hi, I'm Cherie. And I'm Jason, and uh, earlier in our marriage, I was chained to my selfishness. Um, I felt a desire to provide for my family like my father did for us when we were kids and, and work extra jobs and so forth so my wife could be home with the kids. And the selfishness came into play when I started working even more uh, jobs and extra work because uh, I was younger. I wanted to hang out with my friends uh, and I wanted to go and, and have my motorcycles. I wanted my sports cars. and. Uh, as a result of that, I, I pushed her away from me. And I was chained in my marriage to selfishness by spending too much time with my children. They say that you can never spend too much time with your children, which I agree. But I do believe that you can put your children first before your husband. And I believe that your husband should come first. Um, that's where it all starts, is with you and him, and if you put all of your time into your children, which is what I did, um, you don't have anything between you and your husband because you haven't grown together, you haven't learned things about each other, and so I was chained to my selfishness through our, my time with my husband. I gave it all to my children. And ultimately, we, we were chained to our selfishness as a result. Hi, I'm Joe Thompson. My brother, Jerry Thompson, was murdered November 24, 2008. It took me, took all I had to keep going. My brother, my best friend, and my partner in business, I couldn't imagine life without him. And I didn't understand why God took him from me. I was angry and mad, and I didn't understand why. And I was chained to my anger. Hi, I'm Jenny. And I'm Josh. And for about 10 years, I struggled and was in a silent prison with my addiction to pain medicine. Every day was a struggle with sickness, wondering where I was going to get my next pill, and, and also putting my, my family through torture. I was chained to my addiction. And mine, on the other hand, was not pills. It was meth. That drug took from me my house, our brand new cars. We had a swimming pool in the backyard. I almost lost my family, my kids. Um, we were one step away from having my door kicked in. That drug took so much from me. I was very much chained to my addiction. But then I realized and I started praying to God and he told me basically that no matter what I do, that he will always love me and he will always be my father. And so if I figured if he can do that for me, then I can do that for my dad. And it's like he broke my chains of anger and set me free. Later in our marriage, as we began to realize what we've always known, that God is our answer and we began to put each other first and we 
began to pray together and we began to um, seek God together that it was only through God that he brought us together and we are so happy now um, we're best friends I still wake up every morning wondering what Jason's doing and wanting to call him and it's only through God that he can do something like that God truly stepped in on our relationship uh, there's there's no other way around it um, there was times where you feel like all is lost and of course you've got the devil right in their ear in your ear telling you all is lost but you, you can't listen to him you've got to put your faith in God and, and believe in your, your spouse and, and work hard together and, and in marriage you, you have to fight uh, you've got to think back to what you had uh, that spark you had in the very beginning because like Cherie said earlier that's where it all began and you've got to find that again and you've got to reestablish that and make that your foundation make God your foundation and build up from there and your relationship will only become stronger and I'm telling you if you fight for your marriage the rewards are amazing um, and, and through this process we were able to break those those chains of bondage and we've been set free I was so angry with God that I even quit going to church God brought me to my knees reading his word and brought me to realization that it wasn't God that did this and God gave me the reassurance and the peace to know that my brother Jerry Thompson is in heaven and I will soon see him again for being out of the body is to be present with God and I I am at peace with knowing that my brother Jerry Thompson is in heaven I will see him again God set me free and broke my chains I was clean and sober for about three days when we went on a family vacation on that family vacation tragedy hit as we were out canoeing, my son Bubba was underwater, didn't have his life jacket on when our canoe tipped. He was underwater for about two and a half minutes when we couldn't find him anywhere. All of a sudden, out of the corner of my eye, I saw his elbow pop up. I reached over, grabbed him, threw him up on the land, and he proceeded to throw up. Seaweed was everywhere. It was the most horrific sight I've ever seen. We thought we lost him for good. All of a sudden, Bubba comes to, and the first words out of his mouth were, Mommy, I saw God. God gave me my life back. And from that moment, we knew that we needed God in our lives. And God's opened the doors to release us from this bondage with the addictions. He's given us our family back. And because of this, because of God, our chains are broken. This is truly what Easter is all about new life, second chances, death is defeated, and the chains are broken. Let's pray. We asked a question earlier this morning, and it was the question, how can I make my life count? And the answer is simple to lose it. If you really want your life to count, if you want it to have significance, if you want the bondage in your life to be broken, I urge you, I plead with you, surrender it to God. There are many of you in this room this morning as when you were, when you were watching this presentation, your heart just became broken. Because for a lot of you, I believe that's you up on the stage. Maybe your marriage is on the rocks. Maybe you're bound to your anger. Maybe, I believe there's people in here bound to addiction. 
doesn't have to be drugs. Bound to your anger. And I'm here to tell you this morning that Jesus came to set you free. The tomb is empty and you can have life. If you're here this morning with every head bowed and eye closed, I wanna ask you a very simple question, but this question will change your life. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna have you come forward. I just want you to be honest with yourself and give you an opportunity to walk out of here free and victorious. If you're here this morning, you say, Craig, that's me. That's my life. I'm bound. I know I don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I want to give my life purpose. I want to give my life hope. If that's you, just raise your hand right now across this room. We're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to call you out. We just want to give you a chance. Thank you. I see that. You can put your hand down. So lift it up high. Yes. I see those hands. Thank you. What we're gonna do right now is, I'm gonna say a prayer and I would love for every person in here to re repeat this prayer after me. And you know, there's really nothing significantly spiritual about raising your hand. 